Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. I'm recording. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready. It looks like you wanted to make a yawn happen. But I wanted to, but then you shocked me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I didn't know that's what you were going to do. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Let Me Tell You a Story. Now I feel unsatisfied. With what? That I couldn't yawn. You know, like, it's like blue balls for yawning. Hmm. No, you get your yawn. You yeah, that was yawning. good. That was nice. Unbelievable. Wow, that was a tear, a tear one, you know? You know when you yawn, it's so good, it makes your eyes tear. I'm going to tear because I didn't get to yawn. Sometimes I think about this one time, like five years ago, when I was <laughs> yawning, that you stuck your finger in my mouth and ruined my yawn. And I remember that, like, the amount of rage I felt, like I saw red. Like I probably, I told you that was that noise. I probably could have killed you in that moment. You could try. I, I still think about it. I actively think about the time you ruined my yawn by sticking your finger in you my mouth. You think about me ruining your yawn or you think about killing me? You should be honest with me. What? If you want to kill me, tell me because I want to kill you and then we can just battle it out. Dude, that would be the funniest battle ever. You would just tickle me. And I would be dead. If there was no tickling allowed, that would be a real fight. What kind of fight to the death is has rules like that? Don't tickle? <laughs> I don't know. A fair fight? You know I'm weak it's when you tickle It's a fight me. to the death. Okay, well, tickling is like, um, I'm the most ticklish person on the face of the earth, and you know it. It's my one weakness in life. Right. My one You think weakness. like all the bad guys that are fighting Superman, like, well, he doesn't like kryptonite. So like, let's not use it because it wouldn't be fair. Listen, until you've gotten a pedicure and kicked someone in the face, you will never understand what it's like to be as ticklish as I am. I need to understand it. I just need to use it to my advantage. You do all I the know. time. Right. So watch out. Anyways, let's talk about murder, shall we? <laughs> we were. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about someone else's murder. Okay. All right. So the last time we were in Orion Township in Michigan, we told the story of Donna Trapani. Do you remember her? This is like forever ago. She was a librarian. Honestly, babe, the last podcast we did was forever ago. Well, this is like the first one, if not one of the first ones. Okay. I mean, I like the name. Remember she had the husband who was like cheating on her. He went to Florida. He had the mistress. Anyways, if you haven't listened to that one, I'm not going to spoil it. It's really juicy. You got to go check it out. But today we are back in Orion Township in the village of Lake Orion. And our story begins on August 6th, 1994. You saying Orient? Orion. O-R-I-O-N. Orion. I don't think it's Lake Orion. O-R-I-O-N. Orion. Yeah, but wouldn't Orion have a little apostrophe? No. Like Orion's belt? Orion. Is that how it's spelled? Yeah. Are you sure? Mm Mm-hmm. Lake Orion? That doesn't roll off the tongue quite as well. Lake Orion. There we go. Do Orion's belt? It's is it Orion's belt? And I've just got it wrong. This I mean, whole, nobody honestly, life. in your defense, if it is, nobody says Orion's belt. And this is Google. She could be wrong. Orion sounds wrong now that I'm thinking about it. No, Orion sounds Orion sounds right. like Irish. It's like an Irish guy with a belt. Orion's belt. No, you're right. Stupid. Fuck that. Lake Orion? <laughs> no. Orion's belt. No. <laughs> well, that's what Google says. You know, like the people from there are just like these idiots. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. So our story begins on August 6th, 1994. You would have been 15 years old in 1994. So where were you? I was going to college, which in England is high school. And desperate to leave the house, the home, the yeah. family home. Same. I was two and I was desperate to leave <laughs> my family <laughs> Leave home. your diapers. I think it's way worse to think about our age difference when we think about us as kids. You don't know what I was doing. Maybe I was shitting in diapers in high school. I don't want to know that if you were. I was taking a lot of mushrooms. Yeah. I couldn't even eat mushrooms yet. I didn't have teeth. <laughs> <laughs> I know you meant the drug, but I've never done those, so I don't actually know. Is it an actual mushroom? Yeah. Oh, it is. In England, you go pick them. You go to the fields. You find a field with a lot of cow shit in it. That is the loudest fly. Listen to me. I'm talking to you. You find a field with a lot of cow shit because that's where the mushrooms are growing. Cow shit helps the magic mushrooms grow. Some of the mushrooms you find in the cow pat field are poisonous, and some of them are magic. So you right. need to learn to tell the difference. That so is we would so go, terrifying. We would get up real early in the morning because that's when they, like, bloom. And mm. then you would pick them, pick a whole bag full, and then you would all go back to space. You'd make mushroom tea, or you would just put them on, like, a pizza or whatever, and you'd eat them. And then you would get really fucking high. That's so weird. It's really good for you, mentally. Anyway, murders. Yeah, okay. All right, so... Today we're back in Lake Orion, and our story begins, like I said, on August 6th, 1994, shortly before 11 a.m. A handyman had arrived at a local apartment complex to do some work, but right after pulling in, before he even had a chance to unload his tools, he was immediately struck by the sight of a visibly very distraught young man right there in the parking lot. The teen, 16-year-old Kevin Jr. Boyd, was frantic telling the handyman that his father was dead inside their apartment. Now, this handyman is ballsy because he followed the boy right into the apartment where he encountered the horrific crime scene. Turning on the lights to get a better look, it was clear that 42-year-old Kevin Boyd Sr. had met a terrible fate. Lying in a pool of his own blood, Kevin Sr. had been both stabbed and bludgeoned before being left there in his living room with the pillow covering his face. So the handyman was like, Okay, this is awful. Let's get some professionals over here. Police confirmed that Kevin Sr. was, in fact, deceased. And because this clearly was not an accident, the investigation began. But let's first meet our victim. All right. So he was born in 1951, Kevin Eugene Boyd, and he grew up in the suburbs of Detroit, Michigan. He was one of seven children, but he wasn't one to go unnoticed. His sunny disposition and carefree attitude made him a pretty damn cool kid. You know how they say, like, why do good things always happen? Why do bad things always happen to good people? Like, do you believe that that is the case? Or do you believe when anyone meets a terrible fate, it's just human nature to <clears throat> say, like, oh, my God, they didn't deserve this? Because no one deserves this. What do you think? Do you know what I'm saying? I think once someone is dead, it's very easy to remember only the good things and to, like, uh, look at it through rose-tinted glasses. Yeah, I, I agree. But also, like, no one should get murdered. <laughs> yeah. Like, no one deserves it, so it's, like, easier. When someone is murdered, it's easier to be like, they really didn't deserve this. Because they don't. Listen, after someone gets murdered, you're not going to be, like, talking to the newspaper and be like, he was an asshole. <laughs> right? right? You're going to be like, he was a really nice guy. Like, even if... 
he had bad characteristics. You're not going to highlight that to yeah. whoever you're talking That's to. That's just a random thought because I was listening to so many true crime podcasts over the past few days and I was just like, it's crazy to me just how many times you hear, it sounds cliche, but they lit up every room they walked into. They didn't know a stranger. It's another thing. They no. were the nicest person. They were the most caring person. I'm always wondering like, it's a real saying, right? Don't speak ill of the dead, right? Like, yeah. No, no but it's also a real saying, like, why do bad things happen to good people, like I said? And so I always wonder, I'm like, is this is it like a thing? Or is that just what we tell ourselves? Because when anything this horrible happens to someone, you're like, this is the worst. They didn't deserve it. No one is perfect, right? So if mm-hmm. someone's painting a perfect picture, that's not real. Also, maybe he was a nice guy, but like... Bad things happen to bad people, too. That's true. Bad things happen to everybody. Yeah. That's my message. Bad things happen to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That is so dark. Surprising everybody, Kevin met and fell for a woman named Lynn in his early 20s, who was far quieter than the bubbly and outgoing 20-some-year-old Kevin. But love is love, and the two were married after a few years of dating in 1975. And just two years later, they welcomed their son, Kevin Jr., the same Kevin Jr. that, as we know, would discover his father's beaten and bloody body 16 years later. But long before that, Kevin Sr. and his wife, Lynn, along with baby Kevin J., now living in Lake Orion, Michigan, were the picture-perfect family. Lake Orion had once been a resort town, but it's since transformed into a quaint residential community, considered a bedroom community, meaning, yes, people obviously live there, but in terms of work, most people are commuting out of Lake Orion to a different, larger city, most likely Detroit. That was that was the first time I understood what a bedroom community was. I've never heard that before in my life. Oh, I've heard it so many times. Maybe because I grew up in the Midwest. So isn't that like every suburb technically? Like a, so in England, they call them a commuter town, right? It's like everyone who lives in the town, town yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. is a commuter. Right. It just sounds a little sexy when you call it a bedroom community. I think it's cute. Right? It's I think like, it's really nice to like say. everyone's a swinger in a bedroom community. Yeah. It's a way better way of saying like this is a sleepy suburb, you know? You call it a bedroom community. Kevin opened up his own tool shop in town. It was a rental tool shop. And business was like really good. A former employee named Donald Lucarelli told Oxygen, quote, we were outgrowing the location we were in. That's how busy we were. So Kevin Sr. was raking it in at his tool rental shop, living in his cute little village. What more could a man ask for? Well, I know what he wasn't asking for. And that was for his wife, Lynn, to up and leave him. Oof. For another woman. Oh, shit. Yeah. In 94? No, not in 94. Before that. Yeah, they were married. They were married in 75. The murder takes place in 94. She dropped the bomb about her being a lesbian in 1988. But according to Kevin Jr., both of his parents. What were you in 88? I wasn't even a thought. (laughs) What do you mean? My sister was born in 88. <laughs> I was four years minus non-existent. Four. Minus four. Yeah. <laughs> but according to Kevin Jr., okay, so even though his mom left his dad for another woman, he's like both of my parents had their fair share of problems, namely alcoholism, according to their son, obviously. So their marriage already wasn't anywhere near perfect. But that does not mean that Kevin Sr. was at all expecting his wife to come out years into their marriage. In fact, he was absolutely off his ass gobsmacked. But like I said, love is love. So Kevin did his best to let Lynn go and move on with her life while he tried to move on with his. 
while still looking out for her and their son. He gave Lynn their house while he moved into an apartment, allowed her full custody, and still was a fully present father to Kevin Jr. He does sound like a good guy. Yeah, he's a saint. Anyway, it was good that Kevin Sr. remained dedicated to his son's well-being in the long run because Kevin Jr. started having some serious issues as he got older. He attended 10 different schools, and I don't think that was by choice, before he ultimately dropped out of school altogether. He got into a lot of trouble. He drank, he smoked, and he also dealt with some mental health issues, including, sadly, a suicide attempt, according to Oxygen. So obviously this kid had, like, actual issues, right? Like, it wasn't just him being a punk like he clearly had some serious issues and i don't like to speculate on like how a divorce can affect a kid but your parents are alcoholics then they break up it's a lot for a kid to deal with you know it's just a lot and then he's also having trouble in school he can't like get good grades and then he gets into like drugs and alcohol it's just bad it's all it's just bad all around But Lynn and Kevin Sr. actually were trying. They decided it might be good for the teen to live with his father because maybe a change in scenery, for lack of a better term, would be good for him. But unfortunately, their time to spend together as father and son would come to an early end, as we know by the time the story takes place, because 16-year-old Kevin Jr. has just found his father dead. Right? We are right back where we started. Yep. Now, police immediately noted an extreme level of brutality at the crime scene as Kevin Sr. had suffered multiple wounds from, remember, two different weapons. He was bludgeoned and he was stabbed. Upon further scrutiny of Kevin Sr.'s wounds, it was clear that he had suffered blunt force trauma to the head as well as being stabbed. Former Oakland County Sheriff's Detective Sergeant Patrick Miles told Oxygen, quote, With the number of wounds that we saw there, it appeared it was definitely a crime of violence and passion, end quote. And based on where and how they found Kevin's body, they were also able to presume that good old Kev had likely been asleep in his recliner chair when he was attacked, which is such a coward move, really. I mean, you can't defend yourself, I guess, if you can't see what's coming right at you because you're sleeping. It makes the whole thing even more sinister, you know? I hate stories like that. It scares you. It scares me. Yeah, there's something about it. Like I was listening to a story the other day, too, where it's like a couple was sleeping and the wife woke up to her husband being shot. And I'm just like, that is terrifying. Yeah, I mean, you're helpless when you're asleep, right? You're you're you're, you're most vulnerable. Yes, you're so vulnerable. Yeah, that's why I sleep tense. (laughs) What? I'm ready to go. Oh my God, you don't sleep tense. I used to. Okay. I used to before I got exhausted from. I love how you said that's why I sleep tense, and I'm like, no, you don't. You're like, I used to. Dude, you see me in the mornings. When I wake up, I wake up hard. I wake up. You wake up panicked. Exactly. (laughs) Ready to fight. No, that's true. That is very true. (laughs) I definitely do not wake up. You wake up up angry and then you go back to sleep. I wake up so angry every time. (laughs) Now, authorities also noted that although the apartment had been ransacked, presenting as a break-in, gone horribly wrong, obviously, there were no actual signs Mm. of a Mm break-in. But really, they didn't know exactly what they were dealing with. So, of course, they needed to start getting into his circle. Starting with the obvious, the one person who discovered his body, his son, Kevin Jr. According to Lil Kev, his relationship with his father was up and down. In fact, he casually mentioned that the night before his father's death, they'd actually gotten into a bit of a heated verbal altercation. There was no resolve to be had, so Kevin Jr. had decided that it'd be better for him to stay over at his girlfriend's place, and he had no idea what had become of his father until he returned home the next morning. 
That's what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, the only thing aside from his father's body, of course, that stood out to him, this is what he told police, was that several guns that his father owned were all missing from the apartment. Okay? Police were puzzled because, as I mentioned earlier, although the inside of the place looked ransacked, there were no signs of a break-in from outside the apartment. So, for now, it was back to the drawing board. As police scoured for info, one lead fell right into their laps when they got a call from a local in the area. Area. This local man was actually a musician who played gigs in the hood regularly, and after his latest gig at a bar in town, he returned to his car to find Kevin Sr.'s wallet lying right there in the back of his pickup. This all went down on the night authorities believed that Kevin Sr. had lost his life, the night that Kevin Jr. had left his father's place, remember, before finding his body the next morning. You got it. So they were able to use the musician's timeline to determine a window of time in which the murder likely took place. The musician had arrived at the bar for his gig at 11 p.m. and he left four hours later at 3 a.m. So police were like, okay, the wallet was dumped in that time. The only reason you dumped the wallet is because you got everything you needed out of it after the murder. So you dump it. Why anybody would think dumping a wallet in the back of a pickup is beyond me. But to each their own. I keep thinking like, they must have tried to throw it somewhere else. It just happened to land in the back of a pickup, right? Why would you discard of a wallet of a person you just murdered in the back of a pickup truck? Where would you put it? Anywhere else. Where? The forest. A gutter. What forest? It's all fields. I don't care. I would dig a hole before I dumped it in dig someone's car. Dig a hole's good. Dump it in someone's car? Maybe they were like driving slowly and they're like... That's what I'm saying. There's no trash cans. And then they can't stop and then move it because they're worried so they just keep driving. Right. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. The only reason I can imagine somebody would dump a wallet of someone they just murdered in the back of a pickup is because it was an accident. You know what, though? You put it in the back of the pickup and then if someone doesn't notice it for like five days, that pickup could be anywhere, travels all over the place. Like, that's kind of okay. Yeah, I think if I was in the burbs... I would never assume that anyone with a pickup is not checking that pickup regularly. Yeah. And Truly. especially like if it's already full of other other stuff. Trash. Right. Yeah. He's a musician. So, I mean, th- maybe they didn't know that, but like he's clearly keeping his equipment in there. Well, yeah, that's actually the worst person because yes. they're going to take their equipment out every night, right? Like every, every single every right. single time they play a gig. And when he's obviously putting his stuff back in the pickup, that's where he finds it. What was even more strange than that, however, was the fact that the wallet contained cash and all of Kevin Sr.'s credit cards. And that's when police were like, you know, it didn't look like a robbery. We all said that. No evidence of a break-in. And this just further proves that this shit was not a break-in, as much as the perpetrator tried to portray it as one. Even with this actually very good investigative insight police still had no idea who the hell they should be looking into so they went back to the physical evidence and they got a lot from kevin senior's body he had been hit so hard that his head had actually been split open and it was on his skull that they found embedded within it black paint Yep, it's pretty dark. Based on the shape of the wounds they surmised that one of the weapons used was likely a black baseball bat so now they've got a timeline and a likely weapon, and that's about it. They'd already talked to Kevin Jr., who had an alibi. He said that he was at his girlfriend's, remember? So they hit up Kevin Sr.'s ex-wife and Kevin Jr.'s mom, Lynn Boyd, 
But she had an alibi, too. She was home watching TV with her lady, Julie Grain, and Julie confirmed her alibi. So who the hell should they talk to now? Remember Donald Lucarelli, the employee at the tool rental shop? Guy that said they need to expand. Yes. Yeah. Right. So the only he, other person in the story. Only other person in the story. <laughs> yes. He was next on the chopping block. But because this was the 90s, after he passed a polygraph test, authorities were like, well, it can't be him, which is insane. Instead, they asked him for help. They were like, well, since you're clearly telling the truth, we're stuck, dude. You got to help us. Who did this shit? And he was like, easy, guys. Lynn Boyd. Donald Lucarelli had been paying extra attention at Kevin Sr.'s funeral and burial, so he immediately noticed that there were two people absent from the emotional affair, Lynn Boyd and her son, Kevin Boyd Jr. Naturally, he was like, okay, well, that's weird as hell. So he did a little digging, and because this town is the size of my pinky finger, he quickly found out that Lynn and Lil' Kev were too busy trying to get the rights to Kevin Jr.'s, or Kevin Sr., sorry's assets, namely his tool rental shop, Lake Orion Rental, to attend their beloved father and once beloved husband's burial. So instead of being at his funeral and the burial, I cannot say that word. Burial. Burial, burial, burial. <laughs> Burial. It just doesn't look like it. So I'm reading it. I'm just like, I want to say burial, but that's stupid. And I know it's not burial. <laughs> burial. Burial. His burial and his funeral. It's because I'm saying funeral and then I just switch to burial, but I'm saying you, you, you know? Anyways. Okay. And he's like, what the hell? You're so eager to get your hands on the rental shop that you couldn't even come to his burial? That's bizarre, right? It doesn't look good. Definitely doesn't look good. No. So after Donald tells police all of this, they're like, huh, that's weird. Thanks, bro. And they skipped off to find Lynn Boyd for a second interview. When they hit her up, however, she was like, you know what? I'm not really feeling this whole interrogation thing, especially for a second time. You can talk to my lawyer, who I just got five minutes ago. And P.S. You can't talk to my son either. It's good work. <laughs> On Lynn's behalf? Yeah. I mean, it's also like you can't ever blame someone for not wanting to talk to police, right? I mean, she did talk to them the first time. Right. And she's like, why are you talking to me again? And then I'm sure they came in pretty hot the second time. And they're like, oh, we heard this. And she's like, you know what? They were like, yeah. They said, Domino Gleason said, you're <laughs> not at the funeral. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. He was watching and you and Junior are yeah. not there. That's loud. <laughs> I can wait. I'm really thirsty. Yeah, it's really hot. Just so everybody knows, it's 4 billion degrees outside in LA. And it is 1 o'clock in the morning. We have all the windows open and we are sweating. <laughs> this is a side note, but I saw a post today that was like, I can't believe summer's coming to an end. Can you believe in just... Where did they live? Obviously not East, here. East Coast. <laughs> summer's coming to an end. I can't believe in just a couple of months the world is going to look like this. And it was like scarves and stuff. And I was like, bitch. It's going to be hot here until like the end of October. We haven't even reached like the pinnacle of wildfire season yet. So police were kind of stuck, right? I mean, I'm sure they kept investigating, but without being able to talk to the two closest people to the victim who were looking more and more sus by the second, they were really left hanging, waiting for something to break. 
But a break was coming, and it was going to be huge. Three months after Kevin Boyd Sr. had met his untimely death, the stagnant investigation into his murder was cracked all the way open when authorities received a call from Julie Grain, Lynn Boyd's girlfriend. Oh, yeah. She was like, listen, y'all, I'm not trying to go to jail for murder, okay? And police were like, that's a good well, That's a good start to any call. Yeah. Why would you go to jail for murder? Did you participate somehow in a murder recently, say, three months ago? Julie proceeded to tell police that Lynn's alibi, that the two had been home watching movies the night of Kevin Sr.'s murder, wasn't exactly true. Because, okay, Lynn had been home that night, but then she left, and she didn't come back until 3 o'clock in the morning. Julie was like, Okay, our relationship kind of sucks anyway, and I'm not trying to go to prison because I lied for someone that I don't even want to be with. Which I was like, damn, that's harsh, but also fair, you know? Fair, very fair. Obviously, this was like a major bombshell, so police pressed her, asking her if she had any other info to share that could help them get justice for Kevin. And Julie was like, well, her son was over that night too. Oh my God. And police were like, okay, anything else? And she's like... Okay, well, a couple of weeks ago, she told me she killed him. (laughs) Shut up. Yeah, way to bury the lead, Julie. (laughs) I swear to God. With that, police were obviously more motivated than ever now that the case had seemed destined to go cold, had heated all the way up. This is three months later. They have nothing to go off of because they can't talk to Lynn and Kevin Jr. They have not enough evidence or reason for a search warrant of any kind or even like this is the 90s. What are they going to do? They can't check phone records. Yeah, but that's why you pressure the partners. Like, why didn't they pressure... They did. No, Kevin Jr.'s girlfriend, you know? Well, he had an alibi. She corroborated that so alibi. So did Lynn. Right, that's what I'm saying. So it's like, yeah, but once that's, they that's talk why, to them... That's why when you're like, mm, it's not a robbery, like, it's a crime of passion, nothing was missing, and these fools aren't at the funeral. Listen, the burial, bu- Donald burial. Lucarelli passed a polygraph test, and they were like, well, he clearly didn't do it. Like, obviously, this is a different but time. Did he do it? What I am saying is that in 2023, you wouldn't just go off of a polygraph. Sure, but he was right. How do you He's, know? We haven't he, gotten to the end of the story yet. Is, one, he passed a polygraph. Two, he was like, these fools aren't at the funeral, and he was right. Don't listen to Nils. It is of my opinion that you should never take a polygraph test, ever. I mean, it's inadmissible in court. So then why would you do it? I agree, but this was the 90s. People do all kinds of things, like start GeoCity sites and get on MySpace. The 90s? No one was getting on MySpace in the 90s. It wasn't even invented getting until like a 2005. <laughs> yeah, like a Zanga. I don't even know if those are alive yet. I don't know what that is. It was like, you don't know what a Zanga is? Mm-mm. Oh my God. If anyone knows what a Zanga is, please email into the show. I had the craziest Zanga. It was, had, please don't. <laughs> I had like a shark with its mouth open. It was like a blog page. It was like a Tumblr, but for the early 2000s. Yeah, GeoCities. Is that what that is? Yeah, but GeoCities was awesome. What was it? I bet it was so not awesome. No, it was awesome. It was so awesome that when they shut it down, the Internet Archive, that was the first major project, and they had to archive everybody's website. So it was like a community, online community, where you could make your own website, but it was also organized in a location-based system mm-hmm. so that you would have neighbors and for your webpage. But like it was insane. Everyone would do like 
extremely neon colored fonts of all different types and like pictures of cats and then really loud music. It's like a Zanga. Geocities came first and is huge. Geocities was a big deal. That's crazy. That's actually crazy. Because I've never like ever really heard anyone explain it to me. I've heard of it, but I've never heard anyone explain it to me. It's good. Do you miss your Geocities? Did you have pictures of cats? No. What did you have pictures of? I didn't have a Geocities. You didn't? The only reason I got into Geocities is because Robin had an ironic Geocities. And she was like, check this out. And it was like extremely ironic. How? <laughs> like she was clearly taking the piss out of Geocities by making like the worst version of a Geocities page. It's like the 1990s original meme page. <laughs> it was her hers hers was extremely meta it was a page making fun of having a page on geocities yeah. but she had it on geocities yes yeah that's good it's inception so. <laughs> <laughs> eventually i'm gonna use that reference and it's gonna make sense <laughs> like, i haven't quite gotten you're like there harrison with his fucking quotation marks like maybe Maybe once a year he'll accidentally get it right, but every other time he uses it, it doesn't make sense. What are these called when you do this so I can explain it to the audience? Inverted commas? No, but like when you do this. Quotation marks? No, when you do this, what's the action oh, called? So like you say something but you, and you're, you're, you're moving, moving your, your two, two fingers, fingers up and down yes. to say like what the thing you're quoting, you're quoting. is bullshit. <laughs> yeah, so Harrison, for example, <laughs> will be like, since you said that I couldn't, you know, eat snacks, I'm just going to go to my room. But he'll put, instead of eat snacks in quotes, he'll put go to my room in quotes. No, even saying eat snacks would be wrong because we did say that. Yeah, but it's not even it's not even that close. It's like the most absurd way to use the quotes. <laughs> yeah, I am like that. But here's the reality is like in my head, eventually I will make the Inception reference work. I just haven't quite gotten there yet. You'll tell me when I do it. I have a question. Hmm. Have you seen Inception? <laughs> yes, I have. Have you? Multiple times. Have you? Yes, multiple I, times. Weirdly, I don't believe you. Why? Okay, when you watched Inception, did you understand it? <laughs> <laughs> did you understand any of it? <laughs> Not a goddamn okay, second so of it. How are you going to get your <laughs> Inception reference to work if you don't even understand what you're <laughs> trying to reference? I understand it's like a thing within a thing. It's like a dream within a dream. It is a dream within a yeah, dream. Yeah, so I got that part of it. But I really... Anytime I'm filming you and you're on your phone, you're like, Inception. It, it does. It, that's not what it is. I feel like I'm getting closer and closer. I don't think so. Yes. <laughs> I, <laughs> that movie sucks. <laughs> that movie's great. So now that Julie has said that Lynn told her that she killed Kevin. They're like, okay, what do we have to do to like seal this, get this case going? It's been three months. We have nothing. We, now we have everything seemingly let's do this. First things first, they need to talk to Kevin Jr.'s girlfriend because according to Lil Kev, what? That's what I said. Yeah. They have to talk to her again. Right. According to Lil Kev, he was there at her place, right? The night of his father's murder. Mm -hmm. And not at his mother's, like Julie had claimed to police. When they sat down with the girlfriend, this time it took zero time for her to tell authorities what really happened that night. And that was that Kevin Jr. had asked his girl to give him a ride to Burger King. And when they arrived, his mother, Lynn, was waiting there for him. <laughs> this is so suburban. It's ridiculous. 
You're going to meet for a murder plot at the local Burger King? Well, no one goes to Burger King, so it's actually a good... In the burbs, people go to Burger King. Okay? <laughs> That's a good yeah. Police were like, bingo. They'd gotten serious witness testimony placing Lynn and Kevin Jr. together the night that Kevin Sr. was murdered, and it seemed like everything was finally coming together. Until Lynn, who must have gotten word that people were keeping her name in their mouths, called police out of the blue on December 18th. So about a month after her probably ex-girlfriend at this point had sold her out to the cops. The police were shocked when Lynn straight up confessed to murdering her husband. But it was a serious record scratch moment when she named her co-conspirator as not her son, Kevin Jr., but rather her ex, Julie Green. Now, the source material seemed like she might have relayed all of this over the phone, which is literally insane. But no matter what she divulged to them initially, she had a lot more to say when she did sit back down with police for another formal interview. So after that, she finally was like, OK, I'll talk. In recordings obtained by Oxygen, Lynn can clearly be heard telling authorities, quote, I didn't want to do this, but but she wanted to do it, end quote, before claiming that she actually witnessed Julie stab her ex in his stomach. I don't have anything to say to that. This is insane. <laughs> yeah. Police were like, you're lying. They were not buying Lynn's story. At this point, they knew Kevin Jr. had lied about his alibi because nobody's girlfriend is loyal in this story, and instead both Lynn and Kevin's girlfriends had done the right thing, in their opinion, and ratted out their significant others, and police were definitely more inclined to believe them over Lynn and Kevin Jr., since they hadn't been willing to cooperate since literal days after the murder. And honestly, it's like their fault. They yeah, didn't show up to the funeral. Everybody lied. The girlfriends lied as true, well. True, true. But it's their fault because... The day that they're supposed to bury him, they don't show up. Instead, they're doing some really shady shit at the courthouse. Yeah, sketchy. It's pretty dumb. Yeah. They got lawyers, which I don't think is sketchy at, at all, because I do believe that everybody should have lawyers, but they refuse to help police at all. So, like, you can have a lawyer and still want to help get, you know, justice for this person who you supposedly loved the once or loved. That's what I'm saying. Sketchy. So, police, why would police believe that yeah. at this point? They really only have themselves to blame because skipping a burial to try to get your murdered father and father of your son's assets rather than giving him a proper send off is obviously the most telling thing they could have done. So in my opinion, I'm like, bitch, this is karma. Bitches, this is karma. Police had just one more loose end to tie up. Kevin Sr.'s missing guns, okay? Especially one gun. And that came easy enough when a man turned the alleged stolen weapon, the main one that they were looking for, in to authorities, telling them that his co-worker had asked him to dispose of it. And his co-worker was... Kevin Jr. Oh. Police finally had enough to make their move. Lynn Boyd and Kevin Boyd Jr. were both, were both arrested and charged with the murder of Kevin Boyd Sr., now, while Lynn obviously knew what was coming since she literally confessed, Kevin Jr. still believed that authorities had zero evidence. And he was like, nah, it wasn't me. You can't tie me to this murder. I don't get it. His father wasn't shot. So, like, they murdered his father. They took the guns. And then he was like, well, I don't want this gun anymore. So I'm going to ask my coworker at Boot Barn or whatever the fuck. Again. To, like, get rid of it. Stupid. This is all stupid. He's stupid because... He was the one that told the authorities there's gun there are guns missing. Okay? So he just divulged that. 
So even if they were they were trying to make it look like a robbery, clearly. So they tell authorities, oh, it's a robbery gone wrong. There's guns missing. They took the wallet to make it look like a robbery, but then they dropped the wallet in a pickup. This is very badly executed. Very badly executed. Everything is wrong about this story in terms of the criminals. They're idiots. So they just made that up to add to the robbery story, but the two things that they had... Then he got stressed that he had the guns that he said were stolen. And so he gave to his coworker. <laughs> Dumb. And police were like, um, if you're not tied to this murder, tell us how we got this gun. And they showed them the, him the gun, right? And they were like, I'm sure you know who we got this from. And that's when he realized he'd fucked up, like majorly. When he was asked again, who could have possibly helped his mother murder his father? He finally confessed, quote, you're looking at him, end quote. That was a direct quote. Isn't that something out of a movie? Who says that? I read that police were like absolutely shocked. They were like, wait a second. Are you seriously confessing right now? Kevin Jr. knew he was cornered. He had no choice but to finally tell the truth. Four months after his mother and him murdered his father, he was ready to unburden himself of their terrible crime. After they decided to kill Kevin Sr., he and his mother had laid in wait outside the apartment he shared with his father until they were sure he was asleep. Obviously, he had a key, which is why there were no signs of a break-in. As he lay sleeping in his recliner, Lynn attacked him with a baseball bat. When he woke up and amazingly stood up to confront her, she hit him harder and harder until he couldn't get back up. And that's when Kevin Jr., with adrenaline rushing through him, began stabbing his father over and over again. Kevin Jr. and Lynn Boyd remained in custody while awaiting trial. The tool rental shop that they had so desperately wanted for themselves shut down with nobody there to maintain it. By March of the following year, the entire shop and all of its contents had just about been auctioned off, except for one item. The last item that needed to head to auction was an air compressor. As the final piece was being hauled away, the unimaginable happened. Like something out of a movie, a t-shirt fell out from behind it. And inside that t-shirt was a knife. The murder weapon. The Associated Press reported that the blade of the knife found forensically matched the wounds found all over Kevin Sr.'s body. And the t-shirt belonged to Kevin Jr., which was an ace in the hole for the prosecution. In 1996, Lynn Boyd and Kevin Boyd Jr. finally went on trial for the murder of Kevin Boyd Sr. They were tried separately, with the prosecution telling each jury that the motive for the gruesome crime was a tale as old as time. Money, obviously. Lynn and Kevin Jr. wanted Kevin Sr.'s shit, and they had a hefty claim on his life insurance, too. Greed ultimately caused the death of a perfectly innocent man, and it's honestly so unbelievably gross. Kevin Jr. was tried as an adult despite being only 16 when he aided his mother in murdering his father. They were both found guilty and sentenced to life in prison without parole. While Lynn's fate was all but sealed, Kevin Jr. actually got a second chance when in 2012, the Supreme Court reevaluated the cases of juvenile offenders. Now, this gave his defense lawyers an opportunity to paint a very different picture of Kevin Jr. Because remember, he was only 16 at the time of the murder. And they were like, this kid was absolutely manipulated by his mother. He was 16. She plotted this murder. She planned it. She recruited him. He was so troubled. And it was only because of his mother that his father was murdered. In the end, 
It worked. And Kevin Jr. was one of over 2,500 juveniles who ultimately had their sentences completely vacated. He was resentenced seven years later in 2019 to 25 to 60 years in prison. But because he went to jail in 96 and it was now 2019, 25 years had been served, which was the minimum. So just like that, he became immediately officially eligible for parole. But still a felon for murder. A yeah. parole yeah, yeah, fel- yeah, 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 yeah. felon. Totally. Right. But he, he was sentenced to life without parole. Mm. And then all of a sudden he's like, hey, you're getting resentenced. And then the day of his, he, his resentencing, they're like, oh, you're also eligible for parole now. That was in 2019. Months later, in January of 2020, Kevin Jr. was released. So obviously, the parole board bought it. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, and I think also he turned out to be a pretty okay guy. He was 16. He was 16. Come on. And it was 25 years later. It's wild. Also, damn, I mean, you get out in January of 2020, then COVID hits in February. So do you think, are you done, like, is there more? Oh, the only thing I have left to say is that Lynn Boyd remains incarcerated at the Women's Huron Valley Correctional Facility, and she Huron. still remains uh, sentenced to life without parole. Do you think that that was her first murder? Because like, to me, it always seems so extreme that someone is like a relatively normal person. Yeah. R- normal enough that they got married, had a kid, decided... Actually, I've always been a lesbian. This is a big mistake. So I'm going to move out, but we're still going to maintain a relationship and we're going to raise our kid together. And then one day you're just like, life sucks. I want what you have, so I'm going to murder you. Like, do you think that's like a fantastical first and last time? Or do you think like that person is like that? I think that of every article I read, the story was so straightforward, right? Of every article I read, there was really no, nothing in the source material that was like, there were signs. Like, she was like this as a kid. There's not a lot known about her. So who knows? She could have been a terrible person all this time. We don't know. They didn't have a great relationship. They were both alcoholics. And it's, um, yeah, I'm not even so talking about, I'm like, like, facts. I'm in talking my about, head, like, what do you think? No, in my head, I'm like, there had to have been something that's just not reported on. Because I don't think you just wake up one day and decide to murder somebody. I think there are other circumstances that happen in your life. Like there has to be more motivation there, other than No, I, I don't want believe your that. business. No, I think it's you money. You don't think like money right, is right, but the that's motivation. what I'm saying, right? I'm like I'm not saying you're saying money is the motivation she wanted the business, right? She but like his life insurance. But I'm right, but I'm saying like maybe she had a bunch of loans or like had a gambling problem. Like there's some other she was pressure. an alcoholic. She was an alcoholic. Maybe she didn't have couldn't keep a job. Who knows? What what I think sets that apart though is like you might be down on your luck. You might not be able to keep a job. You might be so deep in your addiction that you can't think straight. But there's something seriously twisted about the way your mind works to recruit your 16-year-old troubled son to help you kill his father. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing is fucked up. It's a terrible story. I hate it. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks so much. Don't worry. I'll never do that to you. I don't believe you. What? I don't believe you. You don't believe that I would never kill you? Harrison can be very easily influenced into doing anything. And he gets really mad at me. And... (laughs) 
you don't have feelings. So, you know, now I got to sleep in a different room with the door locked. <laughs> what room? There's nowhere. The back house. There's nowhere. There's no lock on that door. Mm-hmm. Yes, there is. Doesn't work. Yes, it does. No, I could easily break that door down. Yeah, but I would hear you coming. Whereas That's when true. we're sleeping next to each other, forget about it. I'd wake up dead. <laughs> you wouldn't wake up. Well, I don't have life insurance. That's or, true. Or a will. I'm waiting for you to make your will. <laughs> yeah, that's And then I'll that's make fine. my move. That's <laughs> why how you, you won't do it. Why do you think I'm dragging my feet, dude? <laughs> <laughs> nah, dude. No, it was a really straightforward story, but it's an important story still because it's a story that I've never heard covered ever before. And it is really sad. And also, like, it just shows the absolute depravity of humanity. Yeah, it is an important story. It teaches you don't trust anyone Bad things happen to everybody. Yeah, it's true. The moral of this story is life sucks and the people closest to you will kill you. No amount of money <laughs> is worth killing somebody. It's insane. Uh, well, thanks. Thanks for that one. You're welcome. All right, you guys, thanks so much for tuning into this episode. <laughs> Nils is very upset with me because it was a very sad episode, and I think he's a little afraid of me to go to bed tonight. But we do need to go to bed because it is 1.40 in the morning. Lots of crimes to talk about. We'll be back. Please make sure to email us with your story suggestions. Let me tell you storypod at gmail.com. Be sure to rate and leave a review. If it's a bad rating, then don't leave it. Only if it's a good rating, you're allowed to leave it. <laughs> okay, we gotta go to bed. Goodbye. Bye.